how many are you are glad for the freedom that you have in Jesus? Come on, somebody. Come on, you can do better than that. Come on, somebody. Who's glad about the freedom that you have in Jesus? Who's glad about the victory you have in Jesus? Come on, somebody. When he found you, you was laid up in a ditch, but he picked you up and set your feet on a solid rock. Come on, somebody. This is an opportunity for you to praise his name. This is an opportunity for you to shout his name because of the victory you have in Jesus. Come on, somebody. Father, we bless you. We exalt you, God. We thank you for victory. We thank you for victory, God. Who's excited about victory today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, we are so honored to have you in the house today. Um, this is a privilege and an honor. I, have, I am the, the first batter up today, so you are in for a special treat. So hopefully I can be a good leadoff hitter. How many of you guys have ever heard the term the GOAT? That's a term that's thrown around a lot in society today, right? Who's the GOAT of this and who's the GOAT of that? You know, you know for some of my football fans, you know, the, the, you know, the big argument right now is who is the greatest quarterback of all time? If you said Tom Brady, I don't want to hear you. So, um, <laughs> but, but, but we all have conversations, right? Just go to your local barbershop. They're always arguing about who the GOAT is about something some sports team or some, some this, some that, right? But how many of you know that sometimes it's not about who does it the best, it's about who does it most effective, right? So even in Scripture, there was an argument about who the greatest was. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 46 to 48, the disciples argued about who was the goat. Not Jesus. They were talking about themselves, they were arguing, who among us is the greatest? It's not you, it's me. I can just see Peter looking at John and saying, nah, bro, I've been with him. You know, I can see Thomas looking at Peter and saying, no, it's me. But how many of you know it's about being effective, right? It's about being effective. So we read in Luke chapter 9, it says, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who are all the greatest. So it's about service. Being a servant makes you the greatest. And we all know who the greatest servant was, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? So today I want to talk to you guys about what the greatest book is of all time the greatest book of all time. I want to give you some statistics on this book that we love so much, the Bible. Do you know that the Bible is the most stolen book in history? Think about that for a minute. So you mean to tell me that this book that tells us thou shalt not steal is the most stolen thing in history? Hopefully they actually read Exodus so that they can get saved from it. Amen. There are more Bibles in homes than any other book. 88% of people in America have a copy of their Bible in their homes. 88%. It has been the number one bestseller in the history of all books. It is the only book where each story, factoid, and possible myth has been proven true by science, 
archaeologists' discoveries, and traditions passed down. There is nothing in the Bible that you can disprove. Nothing. Nothing. Science cannot disprove Scripture. Actually, science confirms Scripture. You see, it's the best book for a wide range of topics. It's the best book for history. It's a romance novel. It's full of war stories. It has a story of creation. It even got family drama in it. It's got baby mama drama in it. It's, it, has, it has a story of feuding ex-lovers. It's a, it's a book of self-help. It's a book of mental clarity. It's a book of financial wisdom. You'll love this one. It's a book with dealing with in-laws. And for you soap opera folks, it's the best soap opera there is. Where else are you going to find a story about a king that murders another man so he can sleep with his wife? Oh, come on now. Stop acting religious. Don't act like y'all don't watch Guiding Light and As the World Turns. Don't act like it. When I was a kid, that's what my mama watched. She watched that stuff all the time. Now I can just pick up this book and read soap operas all day long. There's so much stuff in it. There's so much stuff in it. It is the only book that is relevant just as much today as it was when it was written. I heard what you said. That stuff in the Old Testament don't apply to me. Yes, it does. You may not have to slaughter animals on this altar anymore, but the stuff that caused you to have to sacrifice an animal on the altar, that still applies to you. Treat your neighbor as you would treat yourself. Don't steal from somebody. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Those things still apply today in 2022. Our society says it doesn't. Our society is screaming YOLO. Our, our, our society is telling us we can live how we want to live. Our society is telling us just live your truth. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says live this truth. Live this truth. It's the only book that has the power to prove what was written about you before it applies in your current situation. Let me prove it to you. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 22, there was a king named Josiah. This king had a very interesting story. The Bible says when he became king, he was only eight years old. And at that time, Israel was in chaos. There was travail. There was wickedness around the land. And when it was time for him to establish himself as king, the Bible says this that there were men that served under him that said to him, we have gone to the temple, because at that time the temple was in ruins. They had stripped and laid bare. Every enemy of Israel had come and taken everything from Israel, had taken everything out of the temple. And so when it was time for Josiah, because Josiah was known as the reformer, and he was destined to reform and change the nation of Israel, my God, do we need a reformer in this day and time in America? And the Bible says in 2 Kings 22, 11, 13, they brought the book of the law to him. And he says this, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us. Because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there 
concerning us. You see, the significance of this is this, and it applies right here and right now. Turn on your TV. Look on social media. Everything that he's described is happening right now because we've gotten away from the book. Come on, somebody. We've gotten away from the promises in this book. We've gotten away from the statutes of this book. We've gotten away from what the Bible tells us how to live. So he is saying, go inquire for me because I got to know what's going to happen to us. What's going to happen to us? Because we haven't been living righteously. We haven't been living by the book. So he says, go inquire from me and help me to find out what's going to happen. Remember what I told you earlier. This book has the power to prove to you what was written before you will come to pass. In 1 Kings chapter 13, if we back up just a few hundred years in history before this moment in time when King Josiah was established, the Bible says that a prophet came to Jeroboam, the king at that time, and said, on this altar there will be a king named Josiah that will slaughter the wicked priests and he will reform and change Israel, and they will call on the name of the Lord. Don't tell me this book is not relevant to you, because the Bible says the same things that Jesus did, you will do. And the problem is we don't pick it up enough to see what God says about us. So if hundreds of years before this moment in 2 Kings, God prophesied about Josiah, what do you think he said about you all those years ago? And how, how will you know if you don't ever pick up the book? It's not, it's not enough to just chase a prophetic word from a pastor. There's enough prophetic word in this book to change your life. You see, I believe that there are certain scriptures that are written just about me. You may not believe that about you. Sorry for you. For me, I believe that there are certain scriptures in this book that when he wrote it, when he inspired it, he had me in mind. Hebrews 10, 35, 36. I've quoted this scripture before, and I will quote it to my grave. Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you are in need of perseverance. For after you have done the will of God, you will receive the promise. When he wrote that scripture, he was thinking about Tony Doyle. You may not believe that, but he prophetically spoke that about me. Hebrews 6, 10 and 12 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget the great work you have done for his children. He wants you to continue forward so that you will imitate those who receive the promise. He doesn't want you to be lazy. He wrote that about Tony Doyle. You can believe it if you want to. But when you don't feel victorious, he called you victorious. When you don't feel like an overcomer, he called you an overcomer. When you don't believe that you are who you say you are, he wrote that about you. When you don't have faith, he prophesied that all you need was faith the size of a mustard seed, and you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. He prophesied that in his book about you. So for me, I know there's certain scriptures that he wrote about me. He put my name there, and I dare you to go back all throughout this book. I can open the pages of this book and show you where I wrote my name. And I said, Tony, you will live and not die. Tony, you are an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. My name is written in this book. I can open the pages and show you if you want me to. Because he prophesied about me 
That's why this book is the greatest of all time. You see, the power of this book is effective for you. This book is the lamp that shines on us and in us, but it is also the light that shows us the way to go. This book is a supernatural gift that reveals his truth, but it also provides the supernatural grace to live his truth. This book shows his divinity, but it also gives us the blueprint for our deliverance. This book demonstrates how we should live by faith, but it also teaches us how to defeat fear. This book slaps us in the face with conviction, but it also has the power to wrap its arms around us with comfort. This book challenges us to live righteously, but it doesn't condemn us for our humanity. This book teaches the truth about creation, and it shows us the importance of covenant. This book has the power to silence your enemy, and it has the power to save a wretch like you and me. This book is valid from beginning to end, and it helps us with everything in between. This book screams our need for repentance, and it displays the unconditional love of our Redeemer. This book changes our lives by application and faith. And it's the only book where the pages became flesh. This book points us to a man named Jesus. And if Jesus is the goat, this book is the goat. The greatest story of all time. Everybody loves a good story. I love a good love story. That's my favorite. But everybody also loves a good super, superhero story. I learned real quick when I married Brian and when Josiah came into the world, I was going to have to deal with superheroes. In kids' world, I learned real fast superheroes. So here's the deal. There's many elements to a good story. The best story is relevant and significant. So what you ask is the greatest story of all time. goes a little something like this. There was a guy, somebody say, a guy named Joseph and a girl named Mary. And they were in love and engaged. They were engaged to be married. But here's the plot twist. Mary found herself in a life-changing conversation with an angel. Now, that's kind of freaky right there anyway. But the angel came and said, hey, girl, you're going to have a baby. So here's where some of the baby mama drama that my brother was talking about a minute ago comes in. The baby is not going to belong to Joseph. You will conceive a child through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's a lot. Because she's in love with Joseph. She's engaged to Joseph. Her parents are cool with this because engagement back in that time was a really big deal. Almost as important, if not more important, than even the marriage. So they were in a covenant relationship. And now this. So after all these tough conversations, which I can only imagine how that went. Because if I'd have had that conversation with those two right there, they'd have been like, <laughs> okay. We're going to talk about that. So, but they worked through all of that. And they worked through the, all of those conversations. And now things are going to take another drastic turn. Because in all of these life moments, they walked in their divine 
purpose. Somebody say divine purpose. And Mary actually birthed the Son of God. Now, all of our, all moms think their child is, you know, amazing. But she actually birthed the Son of God. And here's a hashtag side note for you. If we are going to walk in our divine purpose, it requires the right people to be in our lives. It starts with covenant relationship. And all the things that go with covenant relationship. So we must choose our tribe. They had to work through all of that with their tribe. Because God ordained their tribe. So the greatest story of all time continues. And Joseph and Mary, they parented the Son of God. They fed him. They trained him. They watched him grow up. They watched his ministry to take shape. He walked on water. He healed the sick. And he raised the dead. But there was a price that was demanded. Because his earthly assignment was heavy. He was sent to die to save all of us, you and me, from eternal doom. And Mary had to watch, talk about a, a tough mom assignment, an agonizing torture and ultimate death of her son as she knelt in sobbing moments at the cross. I can't even begin to imagine. But three days later, how many? She heard the news that her boy, her Jesus, was alive. He was not dead. He was alive. And he is. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher, and the giver of life. I said life. Somebody say life. Now, how is that relevant? My story, your story. Once upon a time, there was a guy named Steve, and there was a girl named Rita. That's how my story began. But what's your story? You have a story. It may not begin like mine, but mine's not like yours. Everyone has a story. But no matter how our story begins, the choices we make right now affect how our story ends. But here is your promise that you can hold on to. For God, say it with me, so loved us that he gave his only son. If we choose to believe in him, he will not perish but have everlasting life. If that is not love, I don't know what is because I love you, but I'm not giving my boy to you. But he, especially when you're going to act crazy. But he, God loved us, and he gave his one and only. So if your once upon a time is a little messy, a little crazy, just let Jesus Christ be the superhero of your story. Take a deep breath, turn the page, and guess what? Say spoiler alert. As my favorite pastor daddy always says, if you read the last page, we win.
the greatest freedom of all time. How many, how many of you are thankful to be free? The funny thing about freedom is freedom isn't free. Um, freedom is bought with a price. And usually the price that is paid for freedom is blood. Freedom is something that God offered from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. He said, from every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. Paul made it clear in Galatians 5, 1, when he said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So in other words, he set you free to be free. He did not set you free so you can stay in bondage. And yet so many of us find ourselves bound bound by personal bondages, addictions, strongholds, mindsets, beliefs, things that hold us hostage, things that keep us from truly living free. Some of us are bound by relational bondages, meaning we're bound to people we ain't got no business being bound to. Some of us are bound by circumstantial bondages. Maybe it's a situation you were born into or poverty or physical illness. But Jesus said in Luke chapter four, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. Everybody say anointed. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. He said he has anointed me. In other words, he has authorized me. You see, some of us have been trying to get free and we're in a hamster wheel and we just keep going in circles. But I've come to tell you that I know a man who is authorized. He's authorized to give you the greatest freedom of all time. Freedom from fear, worry, doubt, anxiety, and depression. Freedom from alcohol, cigarettes, prescription and non-prescription drugs. Freedom from pornography. Freedom from that cursing tongue and that lying spirit. Freedom from that bad, nasty attitude. Freedom from unhealthy relationships. Freedom from defeated mindsets and poverty. Freedom from sickness and disease. And his name is Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, it tells us, you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant between God and humanity. But you didn't just come to Jesus. You came to his sprinkled blood, which speaks, everybody say speaks, which speaks a greater word than the blood of Abel crying out from the earth. Now, to better understand this scripture, we're going to have to go back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis. So if you look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, we find a familiar story. And it starts with the Lord asking Cain a couple of questions. It says, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. 
But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Because sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, eager to imprison you, eager to bind you up, eager to chain you down, eager to hold you captive. But you must subdue it and be its master. Verse 8. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, Hey, Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacks his brother, Abel, and kills him. After the Lord asked, afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? Cain got an attitude problem. But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen. Everybody say, listen, listen, I hear your brother's blood crying out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer would the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. It is here that we find the origin of our story. We find how we got here. It is here that blood is mentioned for the first time in scripture. Now, before this story, we read about the great fall of humanity, the separation between God and man. Now, you need to understand that before Adam and Eve fell, there was no bondage. There was no sickness. There was no death. There was only life and freedom. Now, after they fell in Genesis chapter 3, you find Adam begins to see his nakedness and he feels ashamed. So Adam does what all of us like to do when we've made a mistake, when we feel ashamed, when we know we're guilty. He sews fig leaves together to cover himself. Don't we like to cover up our mistakes? And then one day the living God comes down looking for his living son who is now dying because of sin, for the wages of sin is what? Death. And God tells him, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Now God does not accept Adam's feeble attempt to cover himself. So what God does is, is he finds an animal, a sacrifice, if you will, and he kills this animal, he kills this sacrifice, and he covers Adam's nakedness with the, with, the, um, with the skin of the animal. And in essence, he redeems Adam from his mistake. And after Adam and Eve are evicted from the garden, they have two sons. One's name is Cain, and one is Abel. Cain is a tiller of the soil. The same soil which is cursed because of his father. So you could say that Cain is working in his father's mistakes. Cain is working up under the curse. Abel, however, is a shepherd. He is shepherding, working with the very animals that God chose to cover his father's mistake. So you could say he's working in God's solution. So Cain and Abel come to God one day and they want to offer him an offering. And so they give him the fruit of their labor. Cain offers up 
what he gathered from the ground. The same thing his father used to cover himself, which was cursed. Abel offers up the best portion of the first lambs, which is what God used. So God accepts Abel's offering because Abel is working in God's plan. So when God accepts Abel's sacrifice, Cain does what he does, what does what he does best and he gets an attitude. And God tells Cain in verse 7 of Genesis 4, you will be accepted if you do what is right. In other words, if you will do what Abel did, you'll get what Abel got. So God gives Cain the chance to make it right. And what does Cain do? He calls his brother over into his territory. In Genesis chapter 4 verse 8 it tells us one day Cain suggested to his brother let's go out into the fields and while they were the, in the field Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So Abel leaves his territory and goes into Cain's territory. Just like how Jesus left his territory in heaven and came to our territory here on earth. And just like how Cain killed Abel when Abel came into his territory, they killed our Jesus when he came into our territory. Do you see the parallel? So after Cain kills Abel, God asks Cain, where is your brother? And Cain says, I don't know. Then God says, listen, everybody say, listen. I hear your brother's blood crying out. I hear the sound of your brother's blood crying out. You see, the blood of Abel cried, justice must be satisfied. Bring vengeance. Now, it's in the book of Hebrews we realize that Satan has not won the victory in this story. We realize that Abel had to die because he is a parallel to Christ. If we look back at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, it said, you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant between God and humanity, and to his sprinkled blood, which speaks, everybody say speaks, a greater word than the blood of Abel crying out from the earth. Everybody say, listen. Just like Abel, the blood of Jesus cries out, but instead of crying out, justice must be satisfied, bring vengeance, the blood of Jesus cries out, justice has been satisfied, so bring mercy. Oh, I don't hear you. And in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, he tells us, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. You see, redemption has the idea of freedom by a legal ransom, meaning the price of our freedom was paid by the blood of Jesus. This is why we plead the blood, because the blood shows a receipt of our lawful purchase. You didn't get it. The blood acts as a receipt. So when the generational curse tries to hold you captive, the blood cries, hold up, wait a minute, I paid the price for their freedom. When anger and bitterness try to choke you out, the blood cries out, stop in your tracks because I paid the price for their freedom. When grief and sorrow try to sink their claws into you, the blood cries out, stop it now because I paid the price for their freedom. When pride and ego try to tangle you up and entrap you, the blood cries, wait a minute, I have paid the price for their freedom. So I've come to encourage you today 
to tell that thing that's been holding you back and keeping you down. Tell it. Listen to the blood because the blood speaks. It speaks on your behalf. It is the proof. It is the evidence. It is the receipt that shows the price for your freedom has been paid. So when doubt, depression, disease try to bind you, tell it, listen to the blood. I'm looking for somebody who wants to destroy the oak of fear and worry, anxiety, and frustration. Shout. Is somebody in here ready to break the yoke of addiction and unhealthy relationships? Shout. Is somebody in here ready to break the yoke of defeated mindsets and poverty? Shout. Listen to the blood. Listen to the blood. Somebody want to break the yoke of sickness and pain? Shout. Listen to the blood. Listen to the blood. Listen to the blood. Why don't you throw your hands up and declare, listen to the blood. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. blessing come on lift up your hands lift up a shout hallelujah hallelujah we thank you lord we thank you for the blood oh we bless your name hallelujah hallelujah there is controversy over where this term goat started in the sports arena. Fans of LeBron James will tell you it was about him. But fans of Michael Jordan say no, it was about him. <clears throat> fans will tell you it's about him. That's accurate. But it was actually Lonnie Ali that said it about her husband Muhammad Ali, a.k.a. Cassius Clay. Only you old folks know what I'm talking about. And they say that she started it, that he was the goat. He was the greatest of all time. But we have come here today to dispel the myths and tell you there is only one, one and only, greatest of all time greatest savior greatest healer greatest miracle worker greatest mountain mover greatest water walker whatever you want to say about him he is the greatest of all time and because he is the greatest of all time he gives us the greatest blessings of all time. Somebody say blessing. blessing. In January, when we had our Sunday night fire, you know the story. Somebody dropped in a $100,000 check for our evangelist. And being good stewards, because we've seen big checks before that bounced, yes, sir. we contacted the bank 
just to confirm the money was in the account. And the lady on the other end of the phone, when we inquired, she said, well, it's in there. And when we communicated what had happened and why we were checking, she said, well, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. How many know when somebody drops $100,000 into your account? Well, it's a blessing. Somebody say, I want that blessing. Well, let me tell you, God has all you need. All you want, all you need, God has the blessing because he is the blessing giver. And everybody wants a blessing. Look at your neighbor and say, I want a blessing. I know that's right because everybody is human. We all want a blessing. Now, some of us will say, oh, no, no, you keep it. You keep it. I don't want it. You. I. But everybody wants a blessing. Everybody likes a blessing. We like that. I hear people say, I am blessed and highly favored. Sometimes that's overused because the folks that use it don't even know what it means. But I need to tell you, yes, we are blessed and highly favored. You know, when you talk about the greatest of all times, we know that God gives us the greatest favor. He gives us the greatest faith. We have the greatest joy. We have the greatest relationships. We have the greatest increase. We have the greatest grace, the greatest anointing, the greatest strength. You can even have the greatest wisdom. It all comes from him because he is the greatest of all time. He is a one and only. There is nobody like him. We are blessed. You say, where did all this blessing start? Well, the greatest blessing began with Abraham, the father of our faith. And in Genesis chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, his name was not Abraham at this point, it was still Abram. And the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country. Look at somebody and say, Move. Move out. He was really saying, Get out of your comfort zone. Move. Get out of your country from your family because everybody wants to stay where it's comfortable. He said, get out of your comfort zone. Get from your family and from your father's house to a land, to a place that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. Somebody say, it's a blessing. blessing. He said, I will bless you. God's speaking to Abram. He says, I will bless you. And I will make your name great. Most people want to do something significant. They want to be a part of something greater than they are. And here God is saying, I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you. In you, all the families, oh, you missed it. All the family, in you, God said to Abram, in you, through you, all, all the families, all the families of the earth. Oh, you missed it. 
You are blessed today because of Abram. I am blessed today because of Abram. He said, all the families of the earth in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So I stopped in here to tell you today, the greatest blessing comes from God. It was passed down through Abram, but it comes through God. We are blessed today. And it started with Abram, but the greatest blessing, here it is, the greatest blessing is the relationship, the one and only relationship that you have with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Brittany's already given us John 3, 16. You know that scripture. But in Psalm 27, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Why shall I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress. When evil people come to devour me, they stumble and fall. The thing that I seek, he said, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, for he will hide me in his sanctuary. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices and shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord. The greatest blessing is your right relationship with Jesus Christ, the Savior. The greatest blessing you can ever have is to be saved. You may not do a lot of things right. We may make a lot of mistakes, but if you can get one thing right and say, I'm saved, then you can go to heaven. You can live on this earth. You can go through storms and valleys, and you can go over mountains and through the valleys, and you can say, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. I don't know what's going on right now, but I'm saved. I don't know what's going to happen in the earth, but I'm saved. I don't know all the problems that I'm dealing with and how I'm going to get through, but I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. What a blessing to know that you're saved. I got to hurry. I got to get out of here. The next step is the greatest blessing you can be is in sharing the greatest blessing. The greatest blessing is I'm saved. But we've got to take as many folk to heaven as we can. We've got to take as many peeps to heaven as we can. We got to take our brothers and our sisters. We got to take the little tiny babies. We got to take me and you, brother, me and you, sister. We got to take granny and grandpa. We've got to take them with us. We've got to take our neighbors. We've got to take our coworkers. What profit is it to a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? We have the greatest blessing. Now we've got to share it. Jesus spoke to them saying, Matthew 28, 19, greatest commission. And he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost, to observe and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And he said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. We've got to tell it. We've got to shout it from the mountaintop. We've got to go to the low places. We've got to go to Lodabar and tell somebody. We've got to pull them out 
of the miry clay. We've got to get folks established on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. When we get the greatest blessing, our salvation, we've got to share it. We've got to tell it. It's not supposed to be hoarded. We're not supposed to keep it to ourselves. There is enough. There is enough to go around. Come on, somebody. The devil wants you to think there's only enough for you. Hoard it. Hold on to it. No, 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 no. God is a giver. He gave his only son. He sowed his son in the earth. He shed his blood in the earth so we could be free. Our deepest problems are spiritual. When you look at somebody and you see they got problems... It's a spiritual problem. We want to blame this one and we want to blame that one. We want to make this excuse and we want to make that excuse. But I want you to know if you got problems, it's spiritual. When you get right with God, everything falls into place. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. If you wonder why you're not being blessed... The answer is so simple. You are not in the river of God's blessings. Here's how we do. God, this is what I want to do, God. Bless this and bless that and bless this and bless that, God. God, would you bless this and God, would you bless that? That's not the pattern. The pattern is, oh God, what are you doing in the earth? What are you blessing? Where are you moving? I want to be sensitive to your spirit. I want to hear your voice. What are you up to, God? What are you doing? Oh, okay. Then I'm going over there. Whatever you're doing, I'm going to get in that. Wherever you're blessing, I'm going to go there. I'm going to be a part, God. I am going to go with the flow of your spirit. It is a simple cycle. God blesses us so we can bless others. He blesses you and you give it away and the blessings return to you. You cannot outgive God, whether it's your love or your finances or whatever it is. When you receive it from God, you give it away. Don't hoard it. Give it away. When you are blessed, give it away. When you are blessed, tell somebody. When you are healed, tell somebody. When you are delivered, tell somebody. When you get when you get delivered from your addictions and your vices, tell somebody. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away. Our greatest, deepest problems are spiritual. Amen. Let God give you the greatest blessing. Let God touch you to share it with others. Number 6, 24. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile. On you. How many know what it feels like for the Lord to smile on you? There ought to be some hands in the air right now. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. That's the God that we serve. The greatest blessing is available to everybody here. It's very simple. Just say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Cleanse me now. Fresh and new. And be the Lord and the Savior of my life. From this moment forward. In Jesus name. I will follow you. 
I will serve you. If I stumble and fall, I will get up and I will trust you in Jesus' name. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his grace be on you. And may the Lord show you his favor and give you all of his peace. Because he said, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in him. In his father's house are many mansions. And he said, I am going away to prepare a place for you. But if I go away, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. Somebody shout, we are blessed. 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 He is the greatest of all time. He's the greatest father. He's the greatest son. He's the greatest wonder worker, miracle worker, mountain mover. He is the greatest giant killer. He is the greatest savior. He is the greatest healer. He is the greatest deliverer. Whatever you need, he is the greatest of all time. Get on your feet, lift your hands, make a joyful shout unto the Lord, you troubler of Israel, you troubler of the devil. We are alive as the remnant to trouble the devil in these last days. We're gonna make it hard for you to go to hell, but we are going to equip you and empower you by the Holy Spirit and release his blessing on you so that you can get people saved, win the lost, make disciples, and be an advancer of the kingdom. Come on, somebody shout. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We praise your name. Release your breath blessings, Father. Release your anointing. Release your power. Release breakthrough. Release healing. Release deliverance. Release turnaround. Do it now, 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 in Jesus' name. Come on, lift up a shout. Miracles come on the wings of your praise. 